Okay, Dr. Kukreja, thanks for joining the Boost podcast. Matthew, thanks for inviting me on here. Uh, as quoted, the best podcast on bariatrics on the internet. As so says your mom. <laughs> <laughs> right? Dang, that's right. That's right. You know, my mom still has no clue what I do for a living. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. She loves you anyway. Uh, so I have a few questions written down and then, you know, sure. I didn't, I didn't send you the questions ahead of time because I just wanted to see where it would go free form. That's, that's high pressure game. Okay, but let's I, do it. I like this question to start off with. What's the most important thing you learned from your dad? Oh, I think it's, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is just to be kind to people. Um, you know, he's one of those people that, uh, people just gravitate to him and uh, it doesn't matter whether they are super young or super old or somewhere in the middle. Uh, he's just one of those people. He's nice to everybody. And I think in turn, people are nice to him. So it works both ways. Ah, that's a great one. Okay. Well, let's start off. You take the three minute version. Cause I know you from uh, med school, UT San Antonio to Cook County general surgery training to Wisconsin, yeah. Chicago. Give us yeah. the short version of how you got to Dallas, Texas doing bariatrics. So, uh, you know, I, I guess there's two stories there. I ended up back in Dallas primarily, I think, because I was raised here in town. Um, having been here through high school, this was always home and my, my parents were here. And when my wife and I had kids, we decided that we wanted to be close to grandparents and my parents were here and hers were in San Antonio. So it was a coin flip and it worked out. Um, in terms of bariatrics, that was actually never the plan. I, uh, I made it through general surgery training, having done very little bariatrics, having no bariatric exposure. Uh, but I knew that minimally invasive or laparoscopic surgery was uh, the future. At that time, I was finishing my training in 2009 and we were still doing open gallbladders, open appies, uh, but I knew that that wasn't going to last. I, need, I needed to do a, a minimally invasive fellowship. My residency did not give me the experience to do minimally invasive surgery uh, on my own at that point, so I needed to do a fellowship. And I was taught in fellowship that if you can do bariatric surgery, you have the skill set to do anything in the abdomen pretty much. So I said, okay, I'm going to learn bariatrics, and if I learn bariatrics, I can do whatever I want to do from there. And I found that bariatrics was sort of the best combination for me. It was good surgery. It was complex surgery. And uh, at the same time, you were able to see great transitions in people's lives, transformations, um, changes to their, their, their health, their happiness, their well-being. And you were able to see that over time with a, a great fun operation to do. So it was a good combination. Okay. I like it. And then, so now you're right smack in the middle of the Dallas market. Yeah. What, what is, you know, when we, we talk to people from different parts of the country, they all kind of know about the Dallas Fort Worth market, which, <laughs> you know, I went to school at UNT and lived in Dallas okay. six years. Yeah. I think medically or healthcare, DFW is kind of the wild west. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, most people know the story of there's a couple of guys maybe doing some jail time. Sure. Uh, what's the Dallas bariatric market like today? So I think uh, Dallas has always been a very progressive market for all medical technologies. Uh, if you go back to the days when lap bands were very popular, supposedly, and, and this may be urban myth, but supposedly 25% of all lap bands were placed in Dallas. Um, and so I think, you know, whether it's the surgeons, whether it's the marketing or whether it's the people, uh, or the patients, for some reason, whatever is new uh, tends to get picked up in Dallas quicker than, than elsewhere. 
I don't yeah. know why. Uh, but, you know, here in this Dallas market now, I think it, it used to be that that uh, there were three or four very large bariatric practices taking up, I don't know, 70, 80 percent of the market share. Uh, and since those markets have um, those practices have collapsed, I think that there's a lot a lot more small fish in this big pond. Agreed. I, I have to say, um, give whatever details you want. <clears throat> what's your, you have a non-surgical program too, right? We do. Yeah. And how, what's the mix of surgical versus non-surgical versus general surgery? So our, in terms of the surgical side, um, it's gone heavier and heavier towards bariatrics over time. Uh, and I think that's because, uh, bariatric surgery patients often recruit more bariatric surgery patients for the practice. But at this time, I'm about 70% bariatrics and 30% general surgery. Nice. Uh, the the non-surgical part of our practice, uh, if you're talking about medications, meal replacement programs, diet counseling, as well as the endoscopic procedures like balloons and endoscopic sleeve, is about 10% of our practice. Okay. So it's not a huge part of our practice, but it is a service that we offer to our patients, whether it's people who don't want surgery or people who need help after surgery. Okay. And then change for you just in the last 12 months added Dr. Hooper to the team. Yeah. 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 We've been very lucky to add both Dr. Hooper as well as a a PA to the practice. So this practice is new. Um, I've been doing bariatrics for a decade, but this practice has been here for four and a half years. And so we're growing, we're growing. We're we're happy with that. Uh, The first time I met you, we had a hour long conversation about digital marketing. How did you learn? How did you learn what you know about online marketing? Um, I think out of necessity, uh, you know, when, when I started this practice four and a half years ago on our first day, um, it was just me as secretary and our office manager. And uh, I was answering the phone. In fact, I answered the phone for probably the first year of the practice. I had the time, the bandwidth and the interest to do that. So I, I remember on our first day, just sitting there in the office, kind of looking at each other like, okay, now what? We, we don't have any patients, so how are we going to get patients? Um, all right, well, let's start. Let's start a Facebook page. Let's make sure we have a good website. Let's um, let's put some ads out there. And so I remember the first thing that we did to get um, to get patients to or people to follow our Facebook is we ran a, a local marketing campaign. It was about two weeks before Christmas, and we did uh, a Christmas gift giveaway countdown. And so every day we would give away a vitamin or a smartwatch or whatever, and just try to get people to like our page. But in order to get registered for that raffle, you had to like our page. Nice. And so we got our first 500 or so followers that way. Sure. So I just, I just, I learned just by having to do it. Yeah. That's great. Um, kind of the, the main topic of this conversation is yeah. using the robot. Sure. I do not know a whole lot uh, most of the people we work with do not use the robots. If they do, they use it very little. We have a couple who use it exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to ask a bunch of ignorant questions. I did a yeah. little bit of homework, but I think uh, from from a broad view, why have you decided to, why, why would a bariatric surgeon decide to go all in and only use the robot? And why do some guys say, nah, it's not, I'm not going to go that way. So uh, I think there are a couple of issues that you're touching on there. Um, you know, as I, I made reference to earlier, I think that the the bariatric surgeon is sort of the, um, you know, not to toot our own horns, but 
we are the uh, the athletes of, of general surgery, right? Like we do the toughest cases, we do the biggest patients, we do uh, bowel anastomoses, uh, and we are generally efficient at what we do. Uh, we're good at we do at what we do, and we care about having good outcomes. And our outcomes are audited not only by hospitals and and patients, but insurance companies as well. So all of that matters. And so I think your high volume bariatric surgeons using straight stick laparoscopy are generally good surgeons, efficient surgeons. They do a good a good job. Um, for for robots, I mean, look at this. You and I are what three hundred miles apart. Um, right now, 200 miles apart, something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, had we done this interview 10 years ago, we would, one of us would be driving one way or the other and meeting in the middle. So um, now when you, when you pick up the phone and call somebody, um, there's a computer between you and that person, right? Mm -hmm. And it used to be that we were on a landline. That wasn't too long ago. My parents still have a landline in their house. Uh, we don't have one, but uh, so computers are now the interface between all of our interactions. So it's only natural that a computer is going to be between us and our patient and computers adding value. So, uh, you know, our bariatric patients are, um, they, they tend to be bigger, obviously, that's why we're there. They have thicker abdominal walls. Uh, and so those walls uh, are, require our mechanical uh, pressure forces to, to adjust the trocars, adjust the instruments. Um, and so it's a game of strength, right? And so as you're using your own muscles um, to torque those instruments through the abdominal wall, then your precision of surgery may go down, right? And so now I'm asking a computer, I'm asking a robot, okay, hey, you do the heavy lifting. I want to do the dissection. So you fight the abdominal wall and I'm going to do the operation. Um, that was probably the initial impetus, right? And so now as we've done more and more robotic surgery, we're seeing the operations in 3D, our camera is stable. Uh, we're using uh, artificial intelligence technology on staplers to make sure that the staple line is, uh, is, is formed correctly and, and has less likely chance of bleeding or falling apart. And so it's the natural transition where everything is going. I mean, in your car, now you have Bluetooth and, and your computer, your, the car is reading your text messages to you. So um, computers are, are in the way of everything for better or for worse. As far as the time it takes to do a procedure, what's the difference in using a robot versus not? There's a learning curve. Uh, I think there's a learning curve for everything. And, and you were asking earlier why some surgeons are, are not adopting it. And that's probably one of the great reasons, right? I mean, they are, they're good at what they do. They can do six or eight cases in a day. Um, and they can be efficient. And now you ask somebody to learn a whole new technology, it's a step backwards, right? And during that, that step backwards, um, they're gonna lose their efficiencies and their cases will take longer. And, uh, and so there's a learning curve there. Uh, the analogy that I give, give people when I talk about this is that this is sort of like the fighter jet and your McLaren sitting at the end of the, uh, at the runway, right? Um, your McLaren is, is your laparoscopy and your fighter jet is your, is your robot. Believe it or not, the McLaren is going to beat that fighter jet off the line every time. You know, you fire that gun, that McLaren is going to beat the beat the fighter jet. But once you get to the end of that runway, that that fighter jet is way gone. And um, and robots are, are not too different from that. They take a few minutes to set up, right? Once you get your trocars in, you're still not done. You have to connect the robot, get your instruments in, et cetera. Whereas laparoscopy, you'd be doing the work by, by then. But once they're set up, they're very efficient. And I can tell you that uh, my own robotic times now 1500 plus cases in 
uh, are better, uh, or at least better, the same, if not better, than my laparoscopic times. Okay. Um, I, I can do a gastric bypass or a sleeve as quick as almost anybody else can do it laparoscopically. Are you limited? <clears throat> Obviously, not every place that you uh, do procedures is going to have the robot. So, is that going to limit you? You know, uh, so for a long time in my practice, we were sort of transitioning to robotics. And I would do some cases laparoscopically and some robotic. And, and that was a function of uh, both me and my, my access to the hospital. Uh, now I'm at the point in my practice where I believe in the technology so much that I will only go to a hospital that can give me to a robot okay. when, when possible. Okay. And when you're doing surgeries laparoscopically, I'm assuming yeah. you're, doing, you're, you're using two operating rooms and bouncing back and forth. How does mm -hmm. it work with the robot? Same. So a lot, you know, the hospitals have, have seen that we're able to do these operations uh, in a cost-effective manner and have uh, mobilized adequate resources that we can do the same. Okay. The, ro the robot is a tool, right? And uh, it's not doing the surgery for us. It's just a tool like laparoscopy. And it's a tool that is becoming more and more prolific by the day. So thankfully, I'm very fortunate that I have good access to the robot. This seems like a maybe a dumb question, but is there any difference in cost for the patient? No. Okay. No. So uh, we, we make sure for our patients that there's no difference in cost either from us or from the facility. Okay. Now I'm assuming being in Dallas, you're doing a fair amount of cash pay. We do some cash pay. Yeah. And yep. we do it robotically and yep. we've gotten our robotic cash pay uh, prices down to, to laparoscopic equivalents. Nice. When patients come in because they, you know, they see some stuff on your site and they yeah. read a little bit, do they have questions? Do they even know, or do they care if it's robotic? Um, more, they care more now than they used to, but I don't think that patients completely understand the benefits of robotics yet. Uh, and occasionally I have, I have a patient that'll say, no, I don't want you to do it robotically because they're under the impression that I'm, you know, pressing the sleeve button and walking away. Um, and maybe, maybe that day will come. Thankfully it's not there yet, but, uh, but no, I mean, we're still doing the operation. So uh, some patients do resist robots, but the lion's share are actually excited for a new, techno new technology. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> it might be poor perspective because even in the town where I live, when the hospital gets a robot, they throw it up on a billboard and they show this machine with all yeah. these fingers. It's like, I, nobody wants to sit under that thing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's <laughs> the, I think Terminator hurt us a little bit. Exactly. Um, how many... Maybe you have some perspective here. How many doctors around the country are doing uh, doing any robotic bariatric surgery, and how many of them are exclusive? Any idea there? Um, I the only real number that I can throw at you um, is I have been told that around twenty five percent of all bariatrics now is being done robotically. Um, I think that that's 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 a local number. I think Dallas is a very progressive market. Uh, if you go out to the Northeast, you know, everyone is saying, don't do robots. We're not, we have no interest in robots. Uh, so they'll get there in about 10 years. Uh, but, uh, but this is a very progressive market and there's a lot of robotic surgery happening. Um, are you doing, you know, I see the stuff that you're posting and you're, yeah. you're, you're teaching. Are you in the top few people as far as procedures, bariatric using the robot? Yeah. So, um, I, I do uh, teach a lot. I teach for intuitive. I give a lot of talks for ASMBS. In fact, I'm overdue on one of my talks right now to, to put together. Um, so I, I am one of the leaders in robotic surgery, you know, handful of publications as well. 
And, uh, you know, we are just, we're happy to be able to teach other surgeons from our experiences. So we, I, I go uh, to people's hospitals to teach them robotic surgery. Uh, we have visitors usually about uh, once, if not twice a week, that come from around the country to come watch us operate. Uh, we have a group coming from Alaska in a few weeks. Um, I'm actually going to Hawaii uh, next month to teach someone surgery. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's been great for us. It's great. Okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Last question: What's the what's the future of private practice bariatrics? Where's the big opportunity? What's the biggest threat? Um, you know, here in Dallas, the insurance companies have really sort of fragmented the market, and they're they're making. Um, different patients go to different hospitals, which is a big stressor on both the employed and the, the private practice uh, surgeon. But I, I think, you know, private practice, especially for bariatrics, isn't going anywhere. Um, thankfully, we, we still are able to uh, work with hospitals, work with multiple hospitals, and uh, and take good care of the patients. And as long as there's a need, I think we'll be, we'll be okay. The, the difference, I think, is because of the lack of acuity, um, we will likely remain independent. I think general surgery, uh, because of the emergencies at two o'clock in the morning and such, they're more likely to have to go the employed route. But, uh, you know, in any, any business, I think uh, HR is always the biggest hurdle. Um, and so we're, we're continuing to fight that, that fight as much as possible. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That's great, man. I really appreciate your time. Um, I'm going to hit the stop button and then we'll yeah. close it out. Thank, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, buddy.